Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, and now here's your host, Serena Bird. Hello, Frugalistas, and welcome. Today, I have a very special guest, and she is someone who blogs and Instagrams all about saving money, and of course, that is something that really aligns with The Joyful Frugalista. Welcome to Mel from Money Savvy Mama. Hi, Mel. Hello. How are you going? Very well, thanks. Mel, aka Money Savvy Mama, is a minimalistic millennial mum who blogs and Instagrams all about saving money. So we're going to have a great discussion today about money-saving tips and minimalism, amongst other things. Yeah, can't wait. Thank you. (laughs) So let's go and start at the beginning. How did you get into saving and investing? What was the kind of light bulb moment for you? What were the factors that made you become interested in saving and investing? Sure. I guess as soon as I was home with my first boy, I wanted to stay home as much as possible without working. And so I figured you either earn more or you save more. And I wanted to figure out how I could save more money to be home with my kids. And so just tried to be a bit more creative with things that we did around the house, ways that we we saved money. Yeah. I found I was always talking about it with my friends and I'm probably driving them mad. But I just, yeah, I found it really fun and, yeah, try to be creative with it. Had you been interested in personal finance before you had kids? Not really. I quite like spending money. So in some ways, (laughs) (laughs) kind of be the opposite of that. Yeah, I just, I think I get a bit of a thrill when I go shopping. So I've really had to rein that in. Yeah, avoid the shops and just try and be a whole lot more savvy with the way I do things. Otherwise, I wouldn't be able to stay home like I am. I find this happens a lot, especially for women. We sort of go on thinking, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter because I'll keep earning money and my career will just go go up and up and up. And the moment you sort of think about starting a family or have a family, suddenly your interest in money or your value around money kind of changes quite a lot. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's not kids that cost so much money. It's more the lack of income. So we went from having two incomes to having one income. I had maternity leave for four months from the government, which was great. And then when that stopped, I suddenly thought, oh, wow, we're down to $50 a week from Centrelink for my income. And that was a little bit scary when you're Mm. used to having a certain amount. We'd always lived on one income. We we were told when we had marriage counselling or pre-marriage counselling, rather, if you can live on one wage and then save, invest, pay off the mortgage, et cetera, with the rest, then when you have children or you lose a job, it's not a massive shock. And so I think that set us up well. We, We were used to sort of living on one income. Mind you, it was still a shock when you suddenly start having all that money come through and you're like, oh, shivers, I need to I need to change how I do things and how do we make this work? So it sounds like you were already quite savvy from the sound of things. It sounds like you were already planning time out of the paid workforce and that you were already used to living on one wage. Yeah, I guess we always knew we'd wanted children. We didn't know how long that would it would take to have children, but we thought we wanted to use the time really wisely before they came along. So the first year I wanted to pay off his car loan. There was about ten, fifteen thousand owing on that, so we paid that off. I wanted to pay off the remaining hex debt, so we paid that off. And I felt real excitement when I did that and real just relief, like, oh, there's less things we have to pay money towards now. There were a few tax bills and dental bills that came up, which then my wage paid for. And then every fortnight when I got paid, I loved transferring the money over to the mortgage and just seeing those numbers come down. So we were able to pay off quite a bit of mortgage off the unit back then. Yeah, make a bit of an emergency funds. Yeah, I think that set us up well. I wasn't used to having a double income and having all that money sit there. We had very much allocated. 
Yeah, so it sounds like you had a good allocation plan as well. And did it require a lot of discipline? Like, no doubt you probably had friends who weren't doing this strategy who seemed to be perhaps spending more than you. I'm, I'm just guessing there. Was it hard to stick to that strategy? Definitely. I, I had an old car too. I had my same car for eight years, or 98 Terios, and it was the jaggiest car in a <laughs> car park, I swear. But I was proud because I bought it in cash. I was going to wear it into the grounds and I knew that we were trying to set ourselves up for the long term. Yeah, which is which is good. I admit we didn't like the idea of a budget. We always thought it was very restrictive. And so we just made a pact that we would spend as little as we could and we'd save as much as possible, if that makes sense. So we just mm. transfer every bit of excess to savings or paying off debt. And so we had a tiny amount on our accounts. So we weren't tempted to spend it. And for that, like that just worked for us. It didn't feel restrictive. It just felt empowering. And I know now budget isn't restrictive. It does empower you. But back then, that was the best method for us. Yeah, and it helped us kick some goals. Yeah, budgets are a really interesting topic because I felt guilty for many years because I didn't have a budget. And I was like, oh, no, like how can you be writing about saving money and you don't have a budget, right? It felt weird. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if you know Sean from Project Palm Tree, but he actually did a roundup of various frugal bloggers about whether they had a budget or not, and many of them don't. Yeah. And I think the Frugal Wild said it best. They said if you're living frugally, like you don't actually need a budget because you're living way within your means anyway. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you said that because I'm feeling really guilty now because we actually still don't budget, but I feel like (laughs) I should pretend I do because I'm, you know, like I blog about saving money, but that's right. Like, okay, I admit (laughs) we don't budget as such because we're just like, well, here's our goals. Let's not spend much money. Let's just move all the money out and do different accounts and we kind of know roughly how much each expense is we try and keep yeah. it low okay thank you <laughs> I feel like I've got a weight off my chest now for just admitting that and not feeling guilty about it <laughs> well I, I need to say here too that for people who are really struggling from payday to payday and people who are in debt a budget is a really really important tool yeah but I'm talking yeah. about people who are naturally frugal and in that case the key word that you said there, which is really important, is goal. So setting a goal. And so what were the sorts of goals that you set early on that helped to motivate you to get you where you wanted to be with your savings? Yeah, sure. We wanted to have all debts paid off. I wanted to get a mortgage that we could afford on one wage and pay it off early, which meant we weren't going to get an extravagant house in a really posh suburb. We were going to get one that we could actually afford. We wanted to have one of us home with the kids most of the time. And just live a comfortable life. Not We were never going to live in a mansion. We're never going to send our kids to the richest private school. We just want a normal kind of life. I don't want to be worried about money. I know there's lots of stress involved if you don't have enough money. And so I think if you can get the balance right between just having enough, being able to be generous with it and just live your life, I think that, that really appealed to me. Going forward, I like to be more generous. I think I was more generous as a young person on a very low wage. I would just give a lot of my money away without really thinking about it. So I'd like to get back to that more in the next yeah, coming years as well. I feel like that's really important to give back and we are incredibly blessed here in Australia. And as much as, you know, we we struggle with some things, so I feel like our needs are very different to those other around the world. Yeah, generosity. This is a big one. I'm so glad you raised this because I have family members who look at me and go, Wow, Serena, you're surprisingly generous. And I say surprisingly because as a frugalista, everyone assumes that I'm a cheapskate. Yeah. Those who know me usually express that I'm not. 
But because I'm focused on saving money, people assume that it's going to be nitpicking stuff like, you know, the one who never pays for the meal? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what does generosity mean to you and how has your saving and investing path enabled you and your husband to be more generous? Sure. I think it's just realising that we are blessed liver we are. You know, we could have been born anywhere and we've just we've been born here and I feel like with that comes privilege. I've grown up in a family who was very generous and that was just what they did. We had sponsored children growing up. We would give money to just people we need. And so I've, I had a sponsored child since I was 16, just always enjoyed writing letters to her. I've still got the same one. She was four years old when I started sponsoring her and now she's, I can't do the maths, but she was about 20. And so that's really special. I try and help out friends and family when they when they need help, whether that's monetary or just cooking a meal or looking after their kids or something. We we believe in tithing, so we we give to our local church. Yeah, I've got lots of people I'd like to give more money to in the future, but I feel yeah, it, it is tricky. I think to balance up your head and your heart. You know, I need to be responsible. I need to take care of my own mm. family, but there is so much need out there. So I do feel like there's this push and pull and. I've probably gone more towards the head thing lately, like let's take care of our family, but I would like to get back to my roots and, and be a lot more generous going forward. Yeah, it's a hard one to balance too, but you're right, like because you do have a responsibility to your family as well Yeah, and in terms of getting that balance right. And the more you save and invest, the more you do have to give. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like as long as you're still giving a little bit when you are on a low income, then you'll probably continue to give when you've got more. Whereas I think a lot of people think, oh, when you when you get rich or when you get more money, you will automatically become generous. I don't think it actually happens like that. And I think the more money you have, the more money you then have to give away and that hurts more. So, yeah, I think if you can give a little bit, no matter what your income you're on, then as you do come into more money or you save more money, you'll hopefully be able to be more generous as well with that. And I think it's really important. I don't want to become wealthy and have no friends or family because I'm just so consumed with money that I don't feel like that's, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Well, I, I would doubt that that's true abundance and true wealth anyway. Yeah. I was having a discussion with a girlfriend recently. She had a friend who had been visiting and she said that this friend really like all the time expects her to pay for things. And she's like, well, that's how this person has got so wealthy. And I stopped her and said, but like, is this true wealth? Like you think about this. Mm. Would you want to go into business with that person? Yeah, no. Do you want to actually see that person again? Do you want them to come and visit you again? And she's kind of like, oh, yeah, maybe not. And I said, well, that's not really true abundance. No. Because it's you're not really attracting positivity into your life like that. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I wanted to get back and actually talk about your time home with the kids. Yeah. How does superannuation figure as a strategy for you and your husband while you're not in the paid workforce? Yeah, sure. Really important question. I feel like women are very behind in their super because we take time off to care for our children and our families, which is wonderful and very important, but it often comes at a cost. It means your balance is a lot lower than our partners are or husbands are. So I probably for two years I've been contributing 15% extra on top of my employer's contribution. So that's about 25%, which sounds like a huge amount and it is percentage-wise, but I haven't earned a huge amount of money. So it's actually not that much money. I guess I'm trying to play catch up a little bit. <laughs> I realise that I'm I'm quite behind and I don't want to be. And so I'm just trying to put steps in place to increase that. I won't always contribute 15% because that is quite a large amount. I just wanted to try and get to a certain amount and then I can kind of lower it a little bit. 
My husband's in, recently increased his too by about 3%. So I think is contributing about, well, between him and his employer, it's about 12%. So we'd like to get that up to about 15%. Yeah, I think just helps set us up for a time that we're a bit better. Yeah, it sounds like you and your partner have been planning this for a while. Are you on the same page when it comes to finances? How do you manage these discussions about super and finances and time homes with the kids? Yeah, true. Yeah, we're very much on the same page. I take more of an active role because I'm home more and I, I do have more time and more brain space, I guess, to do that. So I quite quite enjoy figuring out the numbers. Hubby trusts me a lot with it. So we'll talk about different things and then he just trusts me to go and put it into place. So I'll make the phone calls, I'll negotiate deals on things. I'll come up with the side with little plans or I'll try and earn some little money on the side doing side hustles and things. And I love it because he just trusts me and then every now and then I'll show him the balances of our emergency fund or say, hey, look, this is what we're down to in our mortgage. And he's like, oh, <laughs> really? And so that, that works really well for us. That I'm not hiding anything from him. He's obviously got access. He can look at internet banking whenever he wants. He just doesn't really want to. He doesn't really excite him as much as it excites me. But yeah, I, I quite like the graphs and the charts. And so I'll show him, look what we're up to or look what we're down to. And yeah, quite like surprising him with that. I like also making or enabling him to purchase things that he wants. So recently he wanted to buy some headphones and uh, for about two years, he was looking at some really good headphones he wanted to buy. And then when he found them and they're on sale and he was really pleased, I'm like, well, just go buy them. Like, that's fine. And it was several hundred dollars. And I just like being able to do that to each other. You know, yeah. yes, it's a lot of money, but we work hard and we save money. So then you can go and do things like that. We've recently set up some sinking funds for spending. So we've got our own card. We've got our own bank account for that. We have a certain amount go in each fortnight. It's not a huge amount and we can kind of up it if we need to or if something comes up like he'd like a soundbar for the TV and if that comes up and he hasn't got quite enough in his account, we'll just you know, we'll just make it happen. That's not an issue. So I think so much of it is enabling each other to do what you want to do rather than being restricted with that. I just love how being financially savvy does make you, en- enables you rather than being restrictive. And I think a lot of people don't realise that. But, you know, during COVID, Hubby built two computers, one for each of my kids, and also got another new laptop. Now, we could do that because we had the the savings and and the money, and he also shopped around and got really good deals because, you know, we're still frugal. (laughs) You still find the best things. But people sort of assume that you just don't spend money on anything at all. But because you're saving money on so many different ways, it means you do actually have the funds to spend money on things you do want. Yeah, definitely. And you don't want to work so hard and then have nothing to show for it or not enjoy your life at all and I feel like you're not going to continue saving money if you're living that frugally or without any kind of treats and we've we've both got different things that we like to spend money on but for him sort of electronics very rarely that's not something we we enable him to do and it's just it's fun that it keeps the journey more interesting and I think it's very important. Yeah it is very important. So I want to ask a little bit more about parenthood too and how that's changed your saving and investing journey as well. Is it harder now that you've got kids to be more focused on money or is it easier? I think it's easy to be more focused on money because I do have more brain space. I kind of have more time and don't have more time all in one, more time at night perhaps than not in the daytime. And I think I I have to be more focused on money. If I don't want to work a whole lot, I have to make sure I'm managing money better at home. And I'm not perfect at this. I feel like a bit of a fraud having a, a money page and stuff because I'm not perfect at it and I, I stuff things up and sometimes I go to Kmart and I still spend too much money on things or, <laughs> you know, 
Like, oh, I, I, I love the right. interior stuff that came out. So I hear you. It's really hard not to buy things there. Yeah, and four dollars and four dollars and four dollars equals you know one hundred fifty dollars all of a sudden. So you know, I'm not perfect at all, but yeah, I try, and I quite enjoy the thrill of seeing what we can do with uh, less money. I guess I like finding things on the side of the road and selling them. I once found a slip dip about ten minutes walk from my house, and I thought, oh, I think I could sell that. So I brought the kids home and once they're in bed, I walked up in the dark and I carried this big slip dip home <laughs> and cleaned it up and sold it. So I do silly things like that just just because I can and it's fun and well, it all adds up. Well, it's really fascinating. Actually, I'd like to hear more about it. So how did you do it up and where did you sell it and what was the profit margin? <laughs> so it's not we're not talking huge money, but I just cleaned it up with you know, a bit of water and soap and I sold it for about $40. But I'm like, oh. Well, you know, that was a 10-minute walk and I got some strength and some weird looks from people <laughs> driving past. <laughs> yeah, but it wasn't a big deal. I found bird cages on the side of the road or baby mobiles or just random things or I've gone to op shops and found things for quite cheap and thought, oh, I think I could sell that for more. So, yeah, I'm always trying to do different things like that and, it, yeah, just it all adds up. A few years ago, my husband had a, a big birthday and I wanted to do something for him. So him and Oh, his brother and I came up with a plan to send him to the AFL grand final, all expenses paid without him knowing. And so for about six months, I sold $1,300 worth of stuff around my house and things I'd found on the side of the road, managed to pay all in cash to my brother-in-law, and he went and bought all the stuff, and we surprised him a week before. So I was really proud of that because it didn't take any money out of our account. Wow. And it enabled him to do something fun that he wasn't expecting he'd get to do. So, yeah, I quite enjoy things like that. That's lovely. And can I also say too, as someone who's frugal, like I used to hate it in a, in a previous life when you get given expensive gifts because you'd sort of go, wow, and I just worked a whole week to pay for something I didn't really want. Yes. <laughs> I'm not saying your exactly. husband didn't want this this thing, but you know, you know what I mean? Like the fact that yeah. not only is it something really special and really thoughtful and it's something he really you knew he would want and you've consulted with his brother about it, but it also comes with no debt attached, no credit card yeah. debt attached to it at all. Exactly. And he, I knew he would wonder where money was going otherwise, like not in a controlling way, just like, oh, like how come, you know, this has been deposited or um, taken out of our account. So I was quite proud to literally like have the cash to pay for it and to earn it myself with that. It wasn't any work income. It was purely from selling stuff and getting rid of clutter in our house. Yeah, that was quite fun. Excellent. Well, congratulations on that. Now, you also write quite a lot about minimalism, and I can see there already that your selling items habit or occupation or maybe talent is probably a better word (laughs) is perhaps tied to your interest in minimalism. Sure. That's very kind. I just feel like when you're staying at home with kids or not even staying home, when you've got kids, there's just so much stuff that comes with them. It's ridiculous. And a lot of the stuff you need to have, you need the cots, you need the prams, you need the clothes, but it's very easy for it just to take over your life and your house. And I feel a lot of stress comes with that. And when you look at your house and you see the toys all over the floor, you see the washing piles, it causes quite a bit of anxiety in me and I'm sure other people as well. And so I'm like, well, I either just get used to this and learn to live with the clutter or I spend all my time picking up after my children, which I still kind of do. (laughs) <laughs> or I, like, it's unavoidable yeah, isn't it <laughs> yeah or I make some changes and get rid of a whole lot of stuff and so I sort of opted with the last one 
I'm not the best at this. Again, I, yeah, <laughs> I'm very honest. I'm, I've still got lots of areas in my house that are messy. But I have tried to minimise a lot of the clothes, a lot of the toys, and a lot of the, just the baby gadgets that perhaps you don't need. I've got three boys under five. And so we get given a lot of stuff and I've found things op shops. But, yeah, I've really tried to sell a lot, op shop a lot. Yeah, just give it away and get it out of the house so I'm not spending all my time picking up things. So I just go back a bit. You have three boys under five and you still have time to blog and Instagram and sell items. My goodness, Wonder Woman you. Oh, really not, really not. My brain is mush a lot of the time. I've recently put the food scraps into the, the recycling bin by mistake and I just I make constant <laughs> stupid errors. Daily blogging, I've got, I've got heaps of ideas and I write them all down. They get to make interactual blogs. But I think I do like just spending a bit of time on my phone when babies feeding, doing a 3am feeds. I'll just kind of, yeah, do my Instagram stuff or I'll try and sell stuff when they're sleeping at night just so I feel more sane really so I'm not just doing all the day-to-day stuff. And what advice would you have too for other parents who are battling the same thing like lots of stuff and wanting a bit more sanity in their lives? Do they need all this stuff to start with? No, we really don't. And people are very kind and they give us things. And I, I accepted everything my firstborn because I wanted to save money. I didn't want to go and buy all this stuff if my friends and family had it. So we took we took lots of stuff, which we're very grateful for. But in that, I think I probably took too much and I'd go to op shops and I'd go like crazy, like, oh, this is so cheap, and I'd buy heaps of stuff. But we just didn't need that much in our house. And so I think my advice would be just you don't need as much. Go through your things. If you've got time and energy and you want the money, sell them. If you don't, just get rid of it. Always have a bag by your door or a box. Dump stuff in. I try and get my kids or my eldest to sell some things with me. So I'll say to him, hey, do you have any toys you want to get rid of or you want to sell? And he'll give me some things and I'll kind of see whether he should sell them or not. Some things I'm like, oh, we might just keep that. But other things I'll let him sell with me. So we'll take our photos. I'll upload them to Marketplace or Gumtree. And then when the person comes to buy the product, I'll get him to give it to the person. He then takes the money and goes and puts it in his little jam jars. And so that's really good. I feel like it helps him want to declutter his toys because he's actually getting something in return for it and he can see the tangible money there and he can then actually go and use that to buy other things that he wants or save things, save up for things that he wants. Fabulous. And I want to ask about investing because I see that you have recently started investing in shares. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, like literally this week. <laughs> so what was the process like? Had you invested in shares before? No, and we actually had some shares given to us by a family member years ago and we ended up selling them to fund an overseas trip. So <laughs> in hindsight, that probably wasn't the best thing, but we did it and so did it. But going forward, I, I wanted to start investing. I wanted to make sure we had a fully funded emergency fund first. I wanted to make sure we had sinking funds for different things that will crop up as they do. But then recently I thought, no, I feel like things are in place. I can start the process of investing. So I saved $1,000 by bits and pieces. And then thought I'll use the the platform of Perla just to start, just because I've been recommended it by friends, not because it's the best or whatever. I just feel like I wanted to give it a go. It's been great so far. Just Disclosure here, I'm an early adopter of Perla. In fact, I was the second person other than the founders to use the platform and I'm also an investor in Perla. So let's just say I like Perla. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's great. How did you find the system, the platform to use? Yeah, really easy. 
I like the colour choice. <laughs> um, okay, Sophie, I'm such a girl. Yeah, that's really easy to use. I had my $1,000 and I figured out where I wanted to put it towards, got the confirmation email, and now I'm an owner, owner of shares. And it's very exciting. So I think I've got the bug. I will try and, yeah, earn some more money and, and buy more as I can. That's just good to start. Yeah, well, that's the key word, starting. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's easy to wait until you've got everything lined up and until you understand everything. I don't understand everything. I still find it quite confusing all the terminology and what's what's best to do. I, I don't I don't really get it all. But I'm just starting and I'll figure it out as I go along. <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the ride. Fabulous. Well, I want to ask one final question, which is: Do you have a frugalista tip? Sure. Oh, there's a few things. Probably. Probably cloth nappies would be one that I would recommend. I've used cloth nappies since my first was my baby. I've used the same lot of cloth nappies since with my third. And they just, you've got the initial outlay of, of the cloth nappies, which probably costs us about $500. But then, you know, going forward, you don't have the ongoing cost of buying disposable nappies, which is brilliant. They're pretty easy to use, easy to wash, and uh, they look cute on their bottoms. <laughs> Yes, that's that's probably something I'd recommend. So it's been a while since I've had kids in nappies. My youngest is now eight. So how much is a pack of nappies disposables these days? Well, you mightn't even know because you're not buying them. Well, I do still use them overnight. So that we buy the cheap ones. We just buy Coles or Audi ones. So about ten dollars a packet. But you know, if you're buying the Huggies or other brands, they can be you know twenty, thirty, even more a packet. So it definitely adds up when you've got multiple children. I think they say it can cost between two and 3000 per child to have them in nappies from birth until toilet training, give or take a bit depending on brands that you use. So, yeah, it's definitely expensive. We bought some modern cloth nappies when I was pregnant and we thought, well, while I've got a bit of money, I'll sort of buy them, put them aside, bought some cloth wipes. And that's been really good because now that we're on a lower income, we're able to not have to fork out all that money and not have to run to the shops all the time for nappies, which is the biggest pain for me, I think. The brand I've got is quite good. You only have to wash them about three times a week or do about three loads a week rather. They just look cute hanging on the line. They dry. I've used the same nappies for five years and they're still going well. And they're obviously easy to clean. Yep. I scrape off bits into the toilet or use a little hose, chuck in the machine, do a rinse cycle and then just do a normal cycle. And there's no stains, no scrubbing, no soaking and hang them on the line. And they're, they're great. Yeah, they're honestly heaps easier. My mum used to use the big cloth terry toweling type ones, the big nappy pin. And I remember helping her to fold them and put them on my siblings. I remember seeing them on the line and the scrubbing and the soaking that would involve. It's a whole lot easier these days. I'd highly recommend people give it a go if, if they're interested. It's really not as hard as it's made out to be. Wow, well, that's good advice. Um, I think I'm done with my kids. <laughs> <laughs> But you never know, (laughs) might end up with grandparent duties or something or uh, aunt duties or something at some point. So it's really good to know. And I think you actually have a second Frugalista tip as well. Yeah, this is a bit of a different one. I enter competitions. I've had a bit of success over the years. I've entered a whole lot of competitions. I've ended up winning about $30,000 worth of prizes from entering competitions. $30,000? Yeah, yeah. So this is probably over 10 years worth of entering. Things like I've gone to the US twice. I've won an Ozpig cooker. I've won a spring-free trampoline. I've won a feeding chair. I've won gold coins. 
$500 cash. I've got on a car fridge. You've won a lot of stuff. They're probably the big things. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, lots of fun. People kind of hate me sometimes. <laughs> but I do just enter a whole lot of stuff. I think the US trip, the first one I won, was the best one. I had to write 25 words or less, so I made up a limerick. I made it all rhyme. And that won the first stage. And then I got to run Adelaide Oval against a virtual plane. And I won the race and then won $15,000 worth of business class flights to either New York, London, Paris or Rome. And so I opted for New York. That was that was quite amazing. Wow, wow. And actually in my book I talk about my love of competitions, not on your scale I might add too, but yes, when you've got 25 words or less, you don't just go, I would really like to win the contest because I would really like it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. You've got to make that's it sound. Sa- yeah, that's not going to win it for you. You've got to, you've, it's got to stand out in some way. Yes, definitely. And I feel like I've, I quite enjoy writing. And for so long, I didn't have the time or energy or motivation to write big things. And so I'd use competition entering as a way of getting that creative flair out. I had a, well, I've got a boy, my firstborn, didn't sleep much in the first few years. So I'd often be sitting next to him in bed or next to the cot trying to get him to sleep. And I'd be on my phone. And I tried to make it count. And so I'd always be entering competitions and writing limericks and poems and things. And I think that's the clue. You've got to find the right competition, the smaller ones, the ones people don't really enter, add some creative flair, and you can have some success. And, yeah, it's, it's been pretty cool. So I recommend people, if they want to enter competitions, just enter a whole lot and you might win one. That's great advice. And just to give it a go. And you never know, you might find yourself after COVID as sort of abated a bit on a, a flight business class yes. headed to New York. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so thank you, Mel. It's been such a delight having you here on the podcast and I'm a big fan of your Instagram page. So how can people find your Instagram account and connect with your blog? Sure, that's very kind. Yeah, feel free to come check me out. Money Savvy Mama, so M-A-M-M-A. I've got a blog on WordPress that you can find all the links in my bio on my page. Yeah, I'd love to connect. Come say hi and join the community. Wonderful. And do also make sure to join the Joyful Frugalista Facebook group and I also have a Facebook yeah. page and yeah. connect on conversations with this and other things. So thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Joyful Frugalista with Serena Bird. She actually likes everybody. And of course, sound has been by Neil Hadley. We could watch the boats float by. You could talk, and I would listen. I would understand your mind. Oh, I'd love to be with you. Walking toward the sea and the time.
Stay.